What is up, team? Welcome back to the show. Today, I am joined once again by my man, Brandon DeCruz. Brandon, as always, dude, thank you for being here. Absolutely, my man. Always a pleasure to be on with you. Absolutely, dude. So just fill us in, man. What's been going on with you in the last week or so since we've talked? Yeah, so honestly, a lot has been new in my world since we recorded our last podcast, which was all about hypertrophy training. And we're going to go even further in depth with that today. But, um, you know, I've been working behind the scenes on making a move that I have yet to actually publicly announce. So um, I haven't discussed this on any other platforms like social media. So you you and your audience are going to be probably one of the first uh, to actually hear this. I don't know when this will go live, but, uh, I'll, you know, I'm going to make the official announcement. Um, but this past week, I actually stepped away from my corporate role as a national sales director. So wow. I, I left the supplement industry. This was my last, this is my last week. Technically, we're on Thursdays so tomorrow. I will uh, sign off um, from a 14-year career and finally go in full-time into online coaching, which we've spoken about, you and I personally. This is something that I've wanted to do for quite some time. Um, and honestly, this decision, it, it took a lot of time and thought to decide on because like I said, I've, I've spent the last 14 years working in the sports nutrition industry. So this is right. like, I put most of my adult life into this, but over the years, uh, I've just developed such a passion for coaching. And I've really, I'm at the point in my coaching career where I've met like this fork in the road and I'm sure you've been there as well because you've went out on your own and done this full time. Whereas Mm -hmm. previously you were a personal trainer and I got to this fork in the road where I realized I couldn't continue to do both as, you know, having the corporate career, it limited, you know, it made me cap my, my client roster and, you know, it, it made me turn away a lot of potential clients that I wanted to help and I would have loved to, but I just didn't have the time. And, you know, quality is of of the utmost importance to me. So there were, coaching clients, there was mentorship clients, there was people I had to turn away or put on a wait list. And, you know, really when it comes down to it, my main passion in life is helping other people. And, you know, so, so this week, you know, I I've left the corporate world officially as of tomorrow and uh, I'm reopening my coaching roster uh, to accept new clients because, you know, I mean, my main passion really is to help others improve their nutrition, their training and their internal physiology to optimize their performance, their health and their body composition. So I, I wanted to, uh, to let you know, cause you're a close friend of mine and then also your audience because they've listened to me for quite some time on here. I mean, I think I've been on your podcast 15 plus times over the past <laughs> year and a half. And so, uh, dude, I'm just really excited. I, I'm, overjoyed that I made this decision and I should have done it sooner, but I, I can't wait to, uh, to really embark on this journey. Oh yeah. I am so stoked for you, man. I'm so excited to hear that. I know that's something we've talked about quite a bit. I'm always blown away. Like we'll hop on these calls and you're like, yeah, dude, I've been on like 35 calls already this morning. And yeah, how so do you, you get to, so much today, done? <laughs> today you are my 51st call, my friend. So, Good uh, yeah. So honestly, um, a lot of people know when, whenever I've talked, uh, spoken about my schedule where people look at my Instagram stories and stuff, I'm up at three to three 30 AM. So I start very, very early and how I do it is I work with some international clients. So I will work on international clients because they're generally like, I work with a lot of people in England, in Australia, in New Zealand. And so they're between five and 12 hours ahead of me. And so with that, they're sending their check-ins while I'm still asleep. So I wake up approximately 3.30. I start doing some computer work with international clients. Uh, I'll get to the gym around 6 a.m. I train between 6 and 8 a.m. Uh, I make sure to get done. I got to clock in at 9 a.m. And then I work generally from 9 to 5 or 9 to 6. My corporate job during my one-hour lunch break, I'll usually either do a podcast. Like I, I record Chasing Clarity currently on my on my hour lunch break with Jeff. Um, or I'll, I'll try to block in sometimes where I won't take the lunch break. And then instead of getting done at 5 or 6, I'll get done at 4 or 5. And then I'll record something with you or with Jeff. 
Um, and so I, you know, I always appreciate you guys being super flexible with my schedule because I'm sure that most people podcast like midday and stuff. And it's just not within my, my, you know, my life schedule up until this point. So I'm really looking forward to what this is going to open me up for, because, you know, I've worked so hard on the educational front, like really learning, like I'm up, like if I'm not working on client check-ins, I'm reading PubMed or I'm doing continuing education courses. Um, I'm going to seminars on weekends. I'm, I'm really investing a lot into my education, but the business aspect has kind of fallen by the wayside. And really all of the clients that I have and, and the clients that I've had over the years, I've worked with over a thousand people over the last nine years. It's all been through word of mouth. I've never done a marketing ad. I've never promoted my coaching. Like, anything. So I'm really looking forward to it. Not that marketing is going to be my main focus, but it is a part of the game. And so I really want to open myself up to taking on even more clients. And I'm excited to open up my roster because I do have a large wait list. So I really, there's people that have been patiently waiting, which I'm super appreciative of. And so uh, I can't wait to, you know, get in the trenches with them, help them and really be able to expand this and, and not only expand my own coaching business, but also help a lot of other coaches. Like we've worked in a mentorship, you, myself mm -hmm. and Andy, um, and, and other coaches that I've worked with, but I've had a lot that I've said, listen, you know, I would love to do the mentorship with you. I just, your, our schedules don't, don't align right. and I can't allocate the, the necessary time to review for them. And then also to give you the, the length of time, you know, my calls are an hour and a half, two hours with you guys right. and, it's in, oh, yeah. and it's in depth. And so it's, it's through the education and then it's client case studies. And it just hasn't worked out with certain coaches that have asked me for mentorship. So I'm really looking forward to being able to work with other coaches to further that ripple effect of coaching, both within the clients I work with one-on-one, -on -one, then also the coaching or the coaches that I work with one-on-one. -on -one. Absolutely. And man, like you've had such a big impact on our team. You've, I think you've already had a huge impact on the industry. I'm excited. And that's with like this being... I think you still make it full time, but like what most people would consider, like typically like someone who makes it a part time thing. I'm excited to see when you have so many more hours Absolutely. a day, like really what you can do. So of course, like there's no one I think that I would trust more with clients than you. So are you like actively in a place where like you want to promote, like, cause I would love to like drop the link to your waitlist or whatever it may be in the show notes the podcast. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, I'm open as of tomorrow. So this will actually, it won't be tomorrow because you will um, release this either tomorrow, which is Friday or next week. So guys, as of right now, as of the time that you're listening to this, I'm completely open for coaching clients. I will be done with my corporate career and I would love to hear from you, to interact with you and to potentially see if we're a good fit because that's really what it's all about. I'll never take on, and Jeremiah knows this very well, that if you're not a fit for me as a coach uh, or as a coaching client or as a mentee client, you know, there's an application process and it's not that I'm selective based on the potential of the person. It's, are we going to align ethically, morally? Am I able to help you? If it's outside of my scope, I have a large referral network that I have no, no difficulty or no problem with referring out because if it's not my specialty, then I, I have people within the, in my network that I can easily refer out to. So if we're a good fit, I would love to uh, discuss with you guys and, and work with you. Perfect. I'll grab that from you after this and I'll drop that for the listeners. That'll be the link to the show notes. And again, of course, like from working with Brandon personally, and I imagine if you're a listener of this podcast, you very much trust Brandon by this point, but there's nobody that I trust more. I'm, I'm so few, man. I'm really excited. I appreciate to it, this. Perfect. All right. On that note, dude, let's get into specialization cycle. So our last yeah. conversation was just around kind of general principles for hypertrophy. I'm really excited to get into this topic because I think it'll be a fun one to nerd out about. But again, applying specialization cycles to program design. So I know this is something I've seen you post about quite a bit. I've heard you talk about it quite a bit with both yourself and clients. So first, can you take us through what is a specialization cycle and why do you use them? Absolutely. So a specialization phase or cycle 
is a block of training where we specifically program in a way that targets lagging or weak muscle groups by prioritizing the training of those target muscles to optimize both their development and then also bring them up. So this phase arranges the main training variables, which would be that we discussed last week. So volume, frequency, and relative intensity or proximity to failure in a way that optimizes our ability to get specific muscles to grow. And this phase is generally one that will last multiple training blocks or at least multiple mesocycles in a row. As we both know, muscle growth is a slow process. So in order to produce noticeable gains in a specific muscle group or muscles, it requires time where that muscle is made a priority and it's focused on very heavily. And this is one of the training programming approaches I use with both my intermediate and advanced clients. As once you get past like the newbie or beginner stages of your training, you're going to notice like things that Jeremiah and I have noticed. You're going to notice your rate of gains in muscles start to diminish. Um, because as we get more advanced, our rate of growth, growth slows down. So this is where dedicating specific periods of training, like within the specialization cycle, where you're specifically focusing on areas we want to bring up, it's extremely beneficial as it allows us to focus more of our training stimulus and recovery resources towards these lagging muscle groups so that they continue to adapt and grow. And when we get more advanced and experienced, we can't just ex expect our entire body to adapt to higher levels of training and develop at the same rate, which is why many of us find that the training programs we've been using will cause some muscle groups to grow and develop, whereas we'll have other muscle groups that seem stubborn or tend to lag behind. And this is something I've noticed myself. And so, you know, also as we train longer and longer, we will notice that some muscles are strong body parts. And these are the muscles that are more responsive to training in general. So my mindset on this is if you have muscle groups that are really responsive to your training, then it's an indication that we don't need to focus as much time or attention or even volume to them as you don't need as much training in total to grow, let alone to maintain those, those muscles as compared to the weak muscle groups that you're doing, say, the same training volume for that you're doing with your strong muscle groups, but they're lagging behind. So this reduced rate of hypertrophy often happens more and more the longer you train as you essentially become less sensitive to the hypertrophic effects of resistance training, and your body is less likely to adapt and grow tissue as quickly as it did initially. And this is something we can all attest to. We'll never, unfortunately, um, you know, as pessimistic as this sounds, uh, we're never going to grow like a newbie again. But, you know, something I, I started to notice, you know, once I was like a decade into training was that my rate of progress started to slow down, but I was able to counteract this by experimenting with some of these specialization cycles to accelerate my growth on certain body parts, like my chest specifically, which was a lagging muscle group that was lagging behind the rest of my body. And this is something I started seeing effective with myself. And then I started utilizing it the last few years with my clients, especially those that are already at my level or even you know further along. And I've seen you know really great and beneficial results from doing so. I love it, man. And so essentially we're very much focusing on a body part or a few specific, specific body parts or muscle tissues. And we're really, of course, specializing in those. And I really, um, this is something I think I'm interested to hear you construct all this because I think we do something similar here, but I've also found like from a coaching perspective in a building phase. So I think from like a client engagement perspective, this is also something that's very helpful. We were talking about this on our team call the other day as well, but like, in a, like there always needs to be something that's keeping the client 
engaged, I think, to an extent. Whereas, like, in a fat wall space, it's easy for it to be like, okay, we're seeing your physique change every week. That's the thing, right? So when we're in, like, a year-long building phase, I think it's so easy for it to just be like, hey, we're kind of just doing the same thing week after week after week. Mm -hmm. And the client gets bored, they get less engaged, right? Whereas specialization cycles, I found, are such a good tool to, like, really get the client excited about, hey, we're really going to be ramping up volume here. This is the area you're going to see growing more. Like, these are the things we're doing specifically. Here's, like, more of the changes you can expect. And I found that to be a really cool tool to kind of keep people more engaged in the process of building also because otherwise that can just get so monotonous. No, I couldn't agree more. I'm someone that I'm very intrinsically motivated. So I, I have internal goals, but at the same time, I do relate to my clients where some of them are 10 plus years into training, or there's someone that they just weren't dealt the greatest genetic cards. And we all know that genetics are a part of the equation. And so they see things lagging behind and they feel like they're not responsive to things. And it's really because they haven't taken different approaches. And this is more of an open-minded approach. And it's not that we're chasing a carrot because that's not what I'm trying to make it seem like, but it does give us a goal to chase. And that's both intrinsically and extrinsically motivating because we have a specific goal that we're working towards on a weekly basis. And I think it's especially important during a building phase that is elongated. It is mm-hmm. a prolonged period of time and it's hard to notice muscle gain. Like it's a right. slow process, but if you're noticing that certain lifts are going up, you're making progression week to week, you're able to you know overload the stimulus. You have certain muscle groups, you're getting a better mind to muscle connection with your exercise executions improving. Um, you're noticing that that you're having a better connection with those exercises. It's something that's keeping you, it's reinforcing the fact that I am progressing. I am inducing overload on the specific muscle tissue. And over time, we will see results in that, especially when we exit the building phase and then go into a fat loss phase. And that's where I see it most beneficial because once we peel back the layers of the onion or essentially we pull back some of the fat tissue, then we start seeing, hey, you know, at this weight, you know, you look substantially different than you did previously, or maybe, you know, as compared to last fat loss phase, you're three to four to five pounds heavier. However, you're just as lean. And now we've brought up the target musculature that we've been utilizing, or we've been focusing on during this uh, specialization cycle. Absolutely. Okay. So why specialize in a few muscle groups versus basically just specializing in everything? I know sometimes like when you talk to an intermediate to advanced client, it's like, Hey, is there anything specific that you want to prioritize here? It's like, well, quads and hamstrings and glutes and chest and like back would be great as well. So like why it's our whole body <laughs> within this, like why specialize in a few things rather than again, just like really trying to grow across the board. No, honestly, uh, like you mentioned, a lot of times we have this ideological um, goal that we want to, you know, bring up every single body part. We want to grow systemically. And ideally we, we would want to have every body part continue to grow at the same time and at the same rate, but that requires, um, both a higher amount of training volume and effort over time to accomplish. And the issue with taking an approach that tries to grow your entire body at once, especially the more advanced you get, is you're going to continually have to push your training harder um, and to continue making progress. But if you push your whole body harder at the same time, you're usually going to get into the state where you're overly fatigued and you can't recover adequately anymore. And at this advanced level, you can't optimally develop every body part at once. If we really think about it, we only have so much adaptational energy when it comes to 
both our training volume and stimulus. And we all have a limited amount of stimulus that we can recover and adapt to. So without recovering properly, you won't be able to benefit from training every body part and you'll stall, which is a situation I find many intermediate and advanced clients in when they first come to me. And it's because they're taking that systemic approach to training. They're utilizing the same training volume or the same training intensity on every single body part. And it looks like a really even program. However, their body's not developing evenly. And, and if anything, they're actually regressing because they're not seeing progress. They are seeing very marginal gains in totality when if we just pulled back on certain body parts and prioritize weaker body parts, we could see more growth in the in the body parts that they really do need to grow. Okay. Okay. I love it. Um, any other reasons that kind of stand out as far as why we, there's a lot of questions that I want to dig into, but I want to save those for the end because I'm sure we'll probably cover some of this. So from there, I've asked, and are there any other reasons that kind of stand out as far as why we use a specialization cycle with a client? Absolutely. So there's there's pretty much three main um, reasons as to why I utilize a specialization cycle because I do want to make this apparent. You know, when I speak on specialization cycles, you know, sometimes I'll make posts about them and it's just an example of a, an approach that I utilize, but it isn't with everyone. And it's on a, on a client to client basis and it's on a needs basis. So once I look at say a needs analysis, I look at their physique as well as their goals. That's when I'll see, is this, is this adequate or is this a proper um, programming approach for this specific client? So the first one is the first reason we would utilize a specialization cycle is if you had a lagging muscle group, you want to bring up to match the rest of your physique. And I'll be honest with you, Jeremiah, out of all the clients I've worked with over the years, I can literally count on one hand how many were symmetrical when they came to me and didn't have body parts that were weak or lagging in comparison to others. So this is where I've utilized specialization cycles as a programming tool to bring these lagging muscle groups up, especially for those that have more, like they're chasing aesthetic goals. They want to look, you know, symmetrical. They want to look aesthetic and they either they want a beach body or they want to look great for a wedding or, you know, or they're a competitor and they want to look good for the stage. And that's a requirement within the category that they're competing in. They need to be symmetrical. So you know, generally when I find a lot of advanced clients, they do have lagging body parts. And that's where I kind of, you know, take a, a, you know, a step back and I really analyze their physique in an objective manner, because often it's really hard to look at ourselves and really pinpoint unless you have, say you have um, certain body parts that you know, aren't responsive just due to your training. It's really hard to know is, are my arms in line with my calves? It, or is my chest and my back, you know, symmetrical to one another? Because it's, you know, a lot of times it's hard. If you're not a coach yourself, it's hard to really objectively look at ourselves and not either be under critical or overly critical. Right. So the first reason would be the lagging body parts, but that would be more of this is objectively known. It's visible. However, you know, the second reason that I utilize specialization cycles is if someone has muscle groups, they specifically want to make bigger. So even if a client doesn't have a blatantly weak muscle group or muscle groups that are lagging behind the development of their other muscles, we all have certain muscles we would like to make, you know, look bigger um, because they would make us feel better. They would make us look better in our opinions, or even they would make us feel more confident if we were to be able to develop them more. And so with that, I find that many of my male clients, they want bigger chest and arms. They want a beach body. Whereas with my female clients, and I'm sure you can attest to this working with so many females over the years, they want bigger glutes. Um, and at times these body parts aren't even lagging or less developed than their other muscles. They just want to focus on them. So if they're an advanced trainee and they already had a good level of musculature and muscle, uh, muscle development, 
This is where I'll transition them over to a specialization cycle approach for their target muscle of choice. So this is where I really, you know, you give a client both what they need, but also what they want. So if someone's well-developed and they're like, listen, I've always wanted bigger arms. This has been something that I've, you know, one of my male clients, this is something that I've always desired. I want to fill out my t-shirts. I feel like my whole body looks pretty good, but if I was to pick my physique of choice, I'd have bigger arms or a bigger back or with ladies, better hamstrings or better or bigger glutes. That's where I will specialize their training approach to that as long as it's not going to be disproportionate to the rest of their body. So if they have really lagging other muscle groups, that's why I'll prioritize that first within a specialization cycle approach and maybe put the target muscle group that they want as a secondary specialization uh, priority. However, if they're pretty in line, like they're pretty symmetrical, they're not going to compete on stage and it's just for their own, you know, personal development, you know, personal and physical development. That's where we could really get creative and say, all right, this is really what you want. This is the look you're going for. Let's do it. Okay. I love it. Then the next one is, and this is one that I don't see a lot of people hit on, but I'll be honest with you. I think because I work with so many clients from different backgrounds, like I work with everyone from Lifestyle Lisa and, you know, Gen Pop Gary to like the Olympia level competitor. I see people from all different walks of life. And what I really notice is there are certain individuals that they should do a specialization cycle because they can't do the amount of training required to grow their entire body. Like they don't, you know, as we get more advanced, we need to continue progressing the stimulus of our training. And for many that will require both more time spent training, and it'll also incur a greater recovery costs. And I find with many advanced clients, they're unable to consistently complete the amount of training needed to progress their physique past like say the intermediate stage of advancement, either due to a lack of recovery resources, like they just can't recover from that amount of training for their full body, or they just don't have the time. And this is where I'll utilize a specialization you know, cycle block to allocate more of their adaptive and recovery resources towards the muscle groups we're targeting within that training block. And then I'm reducing the training stress and time allocation that we put towards other body parts that they don't need as much focus on. So instead of pushing, say, volume intensity on every single muscle group and looking for global muscle growth, like many of us did when we first started training, I find specialization cycles to be a more strategic way for advanced trainees to continue growing as I often find that when we try to push their training for every single body part at once, they just end up with higher levels of systemic fatigue, which then limits their, their growth and recovery and also decreases their ability and motivation to train as hard as is needed to make progress. And then, you know, those are my three main reasons, but I also, you know, just think off the top of my head, you know, there's a couple other situations in which I do utilize uh, specialization cycles. You know, if someone's injured or they're limited in their training capacity, I've actually just recently utilized this with one of my clients and I'm currently doing it. Um, you know, I just had a client that had ACL surgery about four months ago and he couldn't train legs fully for the first 12 weeks post-surgery. So we focus on a delt and bicep specialization cycle as these were muscles that had previously lagged behind the rest of his body. And then also when I looked at it from a fatigue, like a stimulus to fatigue ratio, these were two body parts that didn't accumulate a ton of systemic fatigue, which could limit his recovery both systemically, but also from the injury or from the surgery itself. And so that was one case that I utilized it. But I also find specialization cycles to, uh, to be useful when a client, you know, I have a client that comes to me and they've been training, you know, stuck training a certain way for a really long period of time. And they need a new type of training stimulus to progress and to stay motivated, kind of like we spoke about previously. Right. So by utilizing the specialization 
like when focusing on growing specific muscle parts, it gives us a tangible goal to shoot for. So it's something that they're able to have a goal in mind and really feel like they're progressing and working towards something instead of just, you know, doing the same thing that they've been doing for years prior to coming to me. Absolutely, man. And again, I think from like from a mental perspective, I feel like this is something that's so beneficial as well. So for the audience, how would you recognize whether it is you're in a scenario where, hey, it might make more sense for you to just continue to grow across the board and not like focus on a specialization cycle versus, hey, it might make more sense for you to like, kick off a specialization cycle or look into specializing more? So that's where I'm going to look at. I do a needs analysis with a client first when they come to me. So within my client intake form or my client consult form, I'm going to have people send me, you know, obviously physique shots, visual shots, and I'm going to be looking through some of the parameters uh, visually as to how developed they are. But I also, what I really like doing is if someone comes to me and they feel like something's lagging, what I like them to do is actually send me photos of where they started. And I do that because I want to see how far have you come in terms of your development? Has this always been a lagging body part? Like when you started, what was your foundation like? And what is the comparison in terms of how you've developed? Because sometimes someone is, and I think we're all guilty of this. We are our own worst critics or harshest critics. So sometimes someone will think something's lagging, but it's really has grown as much as we could expect for their level of training in totality. So they could probably, by me just optimizing their their training approach in general, we could grow their whole body. But if someone has a, a lagging muscle group, and it's visible to me personally as having done this, you know, professionally for a long time, that's where I'll really analyze things. I'm also going to, going to inquire about their training. I'm going to put them on a base program. So I might utilize a, a more systemic program in total, like a hypertrophy specific training program and see how they respond. And if I notice that, say, for instance, one of my guys, his chest and his delts are responding incredibly well, but his back is lagging behind and I'm utilizing a very even approach to things. That's where I might peel back layers of the onion, look at how he's training, his movement, his, ex his exercise execution. And then in the next you know, mesocycle uh, construction or the next training block, I might look to transition him into a specialization cycle. I generally don't off the bat have someone go right into a specialization cycle because it's really hard to gauge how someone's responding to something if you haven't seen how they respond to a general hypertrophy program. Okay, absolutely. That's very helpful. So then within that, when you're constructing this, do you have a few kind of main principles of a specialization cycle? Absolutely. So how I construct these uh, specialization cycle, it's going to vary based on the body parts that we're, we're specializing or we're focusing on, um, the training age of the individual. However, there are certain principles that kind of serve as the foundation to all of the specialization cycles that I design. So the first one's going to be, I'm going to focus more of the training stimulus on the muscle groups being specialized on. So when we're trying to bring up a body part, an increased focus and attention needs to be placed on that target musculature. So to do so, I increase volume on that body part in an auto-regulated fashion, meaning I'm not doing set progressions. Like it's not like every week it's going up a set or it's, it's like the RP strength, kind of like their algorithm. I have immense amount of respect for them, but really I like doing this in an auto-regulated fashion based on a client's biofeedback and the training metrics that I track with them, which is going to include their training performance, their strength progression, their pump, their soreness, um, also their local muscle disruption. And it's important to realize that this isn't just about adding more total weekly training volume and throwing every technique at their body to see what sticks. A right. huge mistake. I really want to get this across because I have seen other people speak on specialization cycles. I've seen other professionals within the context of 
uh, this industry posts about specialization cycles, and then I see what their clients are doing. And I, I, you know, if I look into the program design, a huge mistake that I see when people approach specialization cycles within their training is instead of just focusing on one to two muscle groups, or maybe up to three if possible. So say one bigger body group, say like your your back and then your arms. So one larger muscle group and then two smaller muscle groups that they want to bring up and devoting extra volume, intensity, and attention to those body parts while de-emphasizing the rest of their body parts and placing them on maintenance, I noticed that they tried to specialize and bring up their entire body at once, even if they don't realize it. So really what I notice is sometimes someone will be training, say, 15 sets per week on all body parts. So it's an even training program. So throughout the course of the week, they're, they're training eight body, the eight main body parts, and so they're doing 120 sets per week. Well, within that, what they'll do is within the specialization cycle, they might just bump up, you know, two or three body parts at 20 or 25 sets per week. However, they're not accounting for the fact that you just increase a substantial amount of training volume in total. You didn't take away from anything. If you were having trouble or you were just barely recovering and you weren't really making progress previously, why would you increase the stimulus in total? And so, you know, if you simply just increase the total volume for your entire body and every muscle group during a specialization cycle, you're essentially defeating the purpose of this training method by systemically taxing your system and not prioritizing any one or two body parts to optimize their growth. So what I do personally is I allocate more of a client's weekly training volume budget towards the target muscles and will allocate less towards their strong body parts that don't need to be brought up. So say I have a client that has a, I like referring to volume as a budget. So I kind of see it as like a monetary perspective. We could say the same thing about calories. These are all budgetary things. We could really, I find with a lot of my lifestyle clients, they, they relate to more of the monetary uh, analogy. So say that you have a hundred units of weekly training volume. You can do a hundred sets per week and, out, and recover adequately from it. Well, if you're generally doing, so that would be say, around 12 to 13 sets per muscle group and say you're doing that i might bump up certain muscle groups that we're targeting to 15 or to 16 but i'm also going to bring down the rest of their body parts that are strong body parts to either minimum effective volume or even maintenance volume so that we still are within that same training budget in terms of their recovery capacity but we're allocating more of the training stimulus as well as their recovery resources towards those target muscle groups so that they do have an opportunity to grow. Because if we just increase training volume without, you know, um, accounting for the other, the other variables within the training program, you're, if you just expect that as an advanced training, you're going to be able to re increase recovery capacity by 20 or 30% and, and do that and really see substantial gains. I, I just haven't seen that be a conducive manner or a conducive way to, um, really program these. So really what I'm trying to do is de-emphasize some muscle groups and then increase the stimulus on the priority muscle groups. From there, another thing that I utilize with most, if not all of my specialization cycles is something we spoke about last week. I like to increase the frequency for the target muscles. So what I always try to get across to clients when I speak to them about this is that, because I have a lot of people come to me and they're utilizing a bro split or they've only trained things maybe twice per week. And so they really haven't experimented with higher frequencies. And it's not that you have to go to four or five, six times per week. It's just that you can benefit, as we spoke about last, last episode, you can benefit from increased frequency for a especially when you're trying to bring up muscle groups. And what I try to get across to people is not all volume is created equal. So by spreading out our total weekly sets across multiple sessions, it can allow for better quality sets and thus greater quality volume. And so 
you know, for instance, James uh, Krieger did a meta-analysis looking at the upper threshold of per session volume per body part. And what he found was the peak amount of quality volume we should do per muscle per session is around eight to 10 sets according to his data. So basically there's a limit to how many productive sets we can do for a muscle in a single session and grow optimally from. So for muscles we're specially specializing on, if we're utilizing more than 10 working sets per week, I'm gonna use a higher frequency with. And so I do this to spread out the total weekly training volume in a more effective manner, stimulate growth in that muscle more often, and then increase the per session set quality. So we're getting out more out of every single set because they're less fatigued. So say someone's doing 15 sets per week. Uh, for, you know, a specialized muscle group. And that's what I brought them up from 12 sets per week. Instead of utilizing 15 sets within a single training session, I might utilize seven sets one day and eight sets another day, or I might utilize a three times per week routine where it's five sets Monday, five sets Wednesday, five sets Friday. And what I really notice is that their numbers and their ability to progress um, from set to set is increased as compared to when we bunch it all up into one training session. And by the time they get to set nine, 10 through 15, they're systemically fatigued and they're also mentally kind of out of it. So I really like utilizing a higher training frequency, especially within the context of specialization cycles. Another thing is you want to prioritize that muscle. So within that, you want to train the target muscle first in a workout. And we want to train the priority muscle early in the session when you're freshest, you haven't accumulated any fatigue, and can fully focus uh, both physically and mentally on the target muscle you wish to uh, bring up. So basically, we want to start the session by training the target muscles when they're fresh, when they're recovered from our last workout, and when you're mentally focused so that you could dedicate more energy, effort, and attention to that lagging muscle group. Because really what I see with a lot of people is they'll sometimes put the reason why, like when I analyze their training program and I'm asking them, you know, you have, you know, certain weak muscle groups, maybe it's your back, maybe it's your calves. It's always like last in their session. So it's been de-emphasized and they don't, they don't understand why it hasn't been developing as well as their other muscle groups that have been stronger points. But oftentimes it's because they, they kind of prefer, you know, training another body part first. So this happens a lot with arms. Someone will do a push pull leg split and then they wonder why their arms are lagging. Well, if you're always training your arms after say your triceps, after you've already systemically taxed yourself with chest and with delt work, you're going to have less of an ability to apply a stimulus to those triceps. And also same thing with back. If you've already done a bunch of pulling movements and then you move on to bicep training, you're not going to be, you're not going to have as much juice. Just like even just logically, you know that you're, you're more taxed. If you were to put and do a separate session for say your, your buys and tries, you're going to notice that you have more energy, more attention, more focus. And you're also able to get better contractions during that session where it's isolated to just an arm workout. And I think that's why, you know, some people get such great arm growth from transitioning to a growth split, because it's the first time that they've went from say a full body training program or an upper lower or from a push pull leg split and have really isolated their arms. And then all of a sudden they see this growth and they're like, Oh, that's it. I got to do a bro split. No, you just needed to configure your training split a little bit differently. And that's where I'm never locked into training splits. So you'll never hear me say, we're definitely doing legs, push, pull. We're never doing, you know, it's, it's never a preset. Sometimes I have people utilizing, you know, delts and hamstrings and I'm mixing it up. And when they get their program, they're like, they're kind of taken aback. And I'm like, listen, I'm putting a priority muscle, your delts, but you have, you have, 
incredibly dominant hamstrings. So we could put that at the end of the session. It doesn't need to be like the set and forget principle where the largest muscle group has to be hit first and then everything else goes in consecutive order of their size. So it's really based on the priority rather than the size of the muscle group. It's what do you need to bring up most and what is going to be the best approach to doing so? And from there, I kind of mentioned this with how I really target the training stimulus or more of the training stimulus on the target muscle group, but I also deprioritize someone's stronger or dominant muscle groups. And so if a muscle isn't growing currently and you just throw more volume at it without accounting for that increase by adjusting the other aspects of your programming, you could be putting yourself in a situation or a position where you can't recover properly, which will just result in you continuing to stall. So this is where I found reducing volume on other body parts to be useful as it saves more recovery resources to be allocated towards the target muscle group or the groups that we're focusing on within the specialization cycle. And what I really find is a lot of people don't take this approach because, and I'm sure you're familiar with this with working with clients, Jeremiah, most people fear pulling back on their volume um, because they think that they're going to lose size. But what we've seen in the research is that you can maintain your current level of muscle on as little as one third of the training volume or less of the volume that you built that muscle tissue on. So to free up recovery resources and what I you know, I like to refer to as adaptive currency, I like to reduce training volume on someone's stronger muscle groups. So for example, I just, I'm just finishing a specialization cycle with one of my advanced trainees and we just ran a chest and bicep specialization cycle for four consecutive mesocycles. Um, and he competes and this was the feedback that he had gotten that his chest needed work and he also needed to bring up his biceps because he has really dominant delts. So I noticed that when he would first came to me, when he would press his delts would get a, a massive pump. So it was really taking over everything. And then it wasn't that he didn't have a good connection with his biceps. It just was his delts were so dominant from taking on both, you know, all the stimulus from his delt training, but also from his pressing that it was making his arms look smaller. So what I did with that was in order to get the most out of his specialization cycle, I actually took his legs down, his leg training down to minimum effective volume for his quads and then maintenance volume for his hamstrings as his quads are a strong point and his hamstrings are even more developed than that. This guy's got stupid legs for a men's physique competitor. And so since leg training is so systemically fatiguing, I was able to increase his training resources and recovery reserves better by decreasing his leg training. So I was able to pull back and then allocate more of the volume towards his chest and towards his biceps. And, you know, it's, it, the cycle lasted um, about five and a half months in total, or the training uh, block lasted about five and a half months in total, but he's made immense progress within that, both in terms of training performance, but also size, because obviously we have paired both his training and his nutrition to complement that, to make sure he's fueled and that we were progressing both in terms of his training performance per week, but also his scale rate. Okay, absolutely. Man, there's so much to dig, to dig into there. Okay, so first I would ask, it sounds like typically when we're specializing, as we discussed, we don't want to try to specialize in everything. So it sounds like you're typically choosing one large muscle group and maybe one smaller muscle group. Like I know very, very common, like within like us working with mostly women, it's incredibly common that we'll do, okay, we're going to do glutes and side delt specialization, right? So it sounds like you're typically doing like one larger muscle group and one to maybe two smaller muscle groups. Is that pretty accurate? Absolutely. So the most that I ever specialize with someone, and it's really going to, and I want to make a caveat here. It's going to depend on so many factors that go beyond their training. What is their nutrition like are we at 
in a maintenance phase? Are we in a surplus? If they're in a surplus, then maybe we could get away with one larger muscle group and two, two smaller muscle groups. But if they're at maintenance or, you know, if someone's dieting, you know, it's kind of off the block. Like we might be able to specialize in one, but really you don't have the resources from a nutritional perspective to fuel that training process. So really that's where we're trying to maintain tissue as much as possible. So it's going to depend on their nutritional support. What phase of their nutrition are they in? What is their life like? What is their sleep quality? What is their stress management and mitigation like? It's really going to depend. So I'm looking at all these factors. I always say this, and I sound like a broken record saying it, but coaching goes far beyond the macros, you know, the calories and macros of nutrition and the sets and reps of training in the gym. It's everything outside the gym. It's training is a stimulus, but everything else, the progress that you make is what you can do and what you're able to do outside of the gym. So it's really going to depend on what is that client's lifestyle like? For instance, with this specific client, Anthony, he has a great lifestyle for fitness. He's a competitor. He's an IFBB pro. He's a personal trainer. He makes his own schedule. And so he gets, he dials in his sleep. Every time I give him a, a new um, addition to a sleep routine or a supplement or whatever it may be, he's really good at, at implementing it and really executing upon it. But when I have someone come to me and their lifestyle is in a disarray or they're super busy or they have children and we utilize a specialization cycle, I'm, util I'm usually going to do one body part or maybe two at most, but it's always going to be a larger muscle group that they really need focus on and then a smaller muscle group. It's never going to be like, you know, sometimes people will tell me, hey, I want to bring up my legs and my back. Absolutely not. It doesn't matter what your lifestyle is like that. It, I mean, that's such a large, you know, unfortunately, it's such a large amount of your body that you're not going to have the, it doesn't matter your nutrition, the lifestyle, it, it's going to be so systemically taxing that it's going to be, it's not going to be conducive for the goals that we have because we really want to target. We want to accelerate the growth on certain muscle groups. But if you're, you're taking an approach where you're pushing up the training stimulus on two really large muscle groups, you're going to be tapping into those resources and you're going to get diminishing returns from both. So that's where I would utilize a, a specialization cycle approach where I would utilize consecutive blocks of so consecutive mesocycles in a row for their back. And then if they wanted to transition the legs, we could, after we finish that, that back specialization cycle. So it's not that it's, it's preset that we have to stay within the specialization cycle, but we need to run it long enough to see substantial growth. Okay, absolutely. And then I think another great point you made is how important it is to reduce volume with these other tissues, right? So, mm -hmm. and this is going to be kind of a very broad generalization, but I know typically when I have programs, and again, like these are no, by no means prescriptions, but I say generally like a starting point for a mesocycle, again, if we don't have, and typically we'll also have feedback from the client, we'll know like how to respond to these things. But I say like maybe we're around eight hard sets for muscle groups that are deprioritized. And then typically you like somewhere between 15 to 17 sets, maybe as like a good general, general starting point for areas where we're trying to prioritize a little bit further. Um, does that sound somewhat in line to about where you would typically start? And again, I know it's going to depend a lot. Yeah. You know what? It, I work with so many different clientele that it really, really does depend generally within maintenance volume. I've seen anything from six to 10 sets be very effective, um, even as a minimum effective volume, because we have to consider this. I always say, let's focus on quality first and then progress quantity. So it could be someone comes to me and they're what they are progressing on currently within a body part that is a strong point for them is 10 sets per week or 12 sets per week. But I improve the quality of each of their sets and I'm able to bring that down to a minimum effective volume of six sets. So they're still making progress or they're maintaining all their tissue on six sets per week. And I've just, I've just opened up six units of recovery, six sets where I can allocate towards another muscle group. And that's where I really see generally what I'm going to do is I'm going to set them based on their previous history. And often I have so much data on these clients that I know 
where their thresholds are at or where their budget's at. That's the first thing I'm finding. Where is their, their volume allocation budget, which will tr- change over time. So throughout the course of their, their experience, throughout the course of us improving their nutrition, their stress management, their sleep quality, um, their ability to you know connect with each movement, all these things are going to improve over time. So I'm trying to get the most out of the least. And really what I like to do is start with minimum effective dose. Not, And I don't want people to confuse that for minimum effective volume. Minimum effective dose is the, the dose in which I can get the most out of the least first. And then from there, I'm only going to progress the stimulus or progress the training volume based on an on uh, an as needs basis. So we're going to progress as needed, not preset. And that's why I, I go through an auto-regulate uh, auto-regulated fashion of increasing volume. So it's based on what is their response like? Are they still getting pumps in the gym? What is their muscle destruction like? Are they still getting soreness? I don't want them chasing crippling soreness, but if we're targeting a muscle group, we're hitting it three times a week and they're getting no, absolutely no soreness, we're not seeing any improvement upon it and they feel fresh like they get hit it again, then it's an indication that either they're not training to the proximity of failure that I've prescribed or that they could use and they need, it necessitates a higher amount of volume for that specific muscle group. So I'm going to go off of all these biofeedback parameters, but I'm going to make sure that it's within their recovery budget and that we're slowly increasing the stimulus over time to make sure that there's still an overload being presented. Because what we all have to realize is that we have to continually present ourselves with each, like we have to challenge our bodies to go further than it's gone before. And it's not that you have to chase progressive overload because really, if we look at progressive overload, it's more of an indication of progress than something that we're chasing for. Progressive overload is, is pretty much an indication that you've made adaptations to your previous training. And that's what has allowed you to increase your training performance. It's you're keeping up with the adaptations. However, we need to present our body with something challenging to challenge our homeostasis or where we're at currently so that we can adapt and grow further. Okay, absolutely. And to the listeners, well, I apologize. There's a little bit of background noise. Our house is getting painted today. They weren't supposed to be here till Monday, but there's ladders against my window and whatnot right now. So anyways, um, when we're running a specialization phase, because eventually we get to the point where, hey, like probably wouldn't make sense to continue running this. How long should we look to specialize for? So first thing we have to think about is the fact that muscle growth is a long and slow process, especially the longer we train and the more advanced we get. So although specialization cycles do increase the return on investment you get from training, the target muscle groups you're prioritizing, it's not like you're going to blow up over the course of a few weeks. And I think that's where a lot of people, they either get um, you know, disheartened or discouraged, and they throw away the concept of the specialization cycle without giving it enough time to actually see progress. So we need to be patient as growing muscle is a much more time-consuming process than say like fat loss. With fat loss, within four to six weeks, we're seeing results that are noticeable in the mirror, whereas with a specialization cycle and with muscle growth in general, we're not going to see that. So it does take some time to notice growth in a particular muscle group, especially if it's a weak responder to begin with. And because we can't build an appreciable or a substantial amount of muscle, especially at an advanced level in a short period of time, I like to set these specialization cycles up as a specialization block, which is going to consist of at least three mesocycles of focused training and effort towards the development and growth of, say, one to two muscles. And we also need to consider the Uh, directed adaptation principle of training, which is essentially the concept that if you want to improve a certain muscle the most, you need to train that muscle in a consistent manner for an extended period of time so that you get a specific adaptation for that muscle that you're looking for. 
So in order to get growth in specific muscle groups that are lagging, we need to use a more uh, specified approach to training those muscles and do so for a prolonged period of time to get the most long-term growth in those muscles. So by utilizing or by using specialization cycles and making sure that they're at least a few months or longer in length, we get the benefits of Reduce, you know, we get reducing the amount of uh, muscle damage we incur during our sessions so that more of our recovery resources can go towards muscle growth rather than muscle damage repair, which, you know, when we, when we actually look at research, first few weeks of any training program. So if you get a novel stimulus, you start a new training program. First of all, you're only making neurological adaptations. And second of all, you're increasing more damage than you are getting muscle protein synthesis. So more of your muscle protein synthesis that you're stimulating during those sessions are going towards damage repair rather than actually new tissue growth. So with that damage repair, it interferes with our ability to grow tissue. So what we need to do is stay in that period or stay in that phase long enough to exceed that time period in which more damage is occurring and we get more of a repeated bout effect. And then we're able to gain more muscle from that training because our body has adapted to it. And then we also had the opportunity to improve, like when you do something for a longer period of time, we're going to improve our exercise execution and technique over time which then helps to increase the amount of muscle activation we get from a movement. It's going to improve our mind to muscle connection. So we're able to better stimulate the target muscle group. And it's also going to improve the stimulus fatigue ratio of our training. And this not only allows us to test, you know, different training volume thresholds, but also allows us to track progress over a long time period so that we can guarantee that the next time we die down, that we see some of the fruits of our labor. Because one thing that I really noticed with a lot of people is that they'll do a specialization cycle and they want to do it just for one mesocycle. And here's the thing with that. There's just not enough time because the first couple of weeks, it's just a novel stimulus. So if you've never trained, you know, say your, your back or you've never trained your glutes three times a week, there's a novel stimulus. So now we have to get used to the repeated bout effective training where we're able to incur, we're able to um, essentially stimulate and accommodate to the stimulus of training and get less damage each time so that we're getting more stimulus, less fatigue. But if you're to utilize an approach where you only do it for a mesocycle, so say five to six weeks, then you deload, and then you decide to go into a new training program, you really have taken a few weeks of increased muscle damage. You're not getting really a net benefit out of that. And then you've, you've switched. And that's where I see a lot of people, they chase novelty within their training rather than progression. And so they kind of get this fake progression because we all know that training elicits two different things. We get neurological adaptations and muscular adaptations and neurological adaptations, which is the increases we see in strength, especially on new movements that comes first. So the first couple of weeks, you could be progressing your load week to week, but that's really a neurological, uh, you know, a connection that's happening just as a result of better neurological connection to that exercise and better execution of it. However, that's not leading to long-term muscle growth. So I like to stay in a period long enough, just like I would with nutritionally with a building phase, where we're actually cementing some of that growth. We're getting something that's going to be tangible and visible, and we're able to actually count on that growth. Absolutely. And I think that that's almost an entirely different discussion, but that's why, like, I know when I first started coaching, it was, I need to keep my clients entertained. So uh, we're going to like run three weeks of progression. We would deal with every fourth week, which again, like doesn't make sense now. And then it was like, Hey, we completely change exercises, right. Going into the next block. And it's, 
that's such a good recipe to just not make any progress. Maybe we're making neuro gains these first few weeks with these new movements, but again, like we're not going to make very much progress like that long term. Um, and I also really like how you touched on the execution aspect of that as well, and like improving execution over time. Where so often, I think specifically with individuals that have a weak body part, it's typically like, hey, I almost, I rarely get a good sense of disruption. I rarely get a good pump. I can't really like feel this muscle working. We don't have to get like too caught up in like trying to put your head in the muscle or anything, but like. So often with new clients in a scenario like this, so much of that is just breaking down porn videos on a consistent basis. And there's almost always like either A, you've been too attached, like you can't grow your chest and all you've ever done is barbell bench press because people say you need to do barbell bench press, right? It's so oftentimes like smarter exercise selection, but then actually taking the time to audit your execution before you're just throwing more volume at the problem and kind of hoping that'll fix things as well. Absolutely. No, I couldn't agree more. Cool. Um, any last things you suggest we do to make the most out of a specialization cycle? Yeah. Um, I think it's also important to realize that the longer we train, the more effort, focus, and attention to detail we will need to pay towards our programming, both in terms of our training, but also our nutrition. Um, so because to see noticeable results and make tangible progress, we're going to have to dial things in more. And that's something that I see a lot of people, they actually, they almost get more relaxed the longer that they train. And then they wonder why they're spinning their wheels. So we need to make sure we're checking off all the boxes to maximize the results of this specialization cycle. So a few things I make sure that I do with my clients or that my clients are executing on is I'm making sure that their nutrition is dialed in and they're in a surplus and it's being adhered to, especially during a specialization cycle when muscle growth is our objective because because yes, can you grow muscle at, at maintenance calories? Absolutely. But are you going to optimize it? No. Um, can you grow muscle in a deficit if you're, say, uh, a newbie or intermediate? Absolutely. However, once you're advanced, you've been training eight, nine, 10 years or plus, you're really not going to see that type of recomposition unless you're detrained. So we really have to make sure nutrition is dialed in. It's your fueling training as well as your recovery. We want to make sure sleep quality and duration is in a place where you're able to optimize not only your training performance because it will impact your ability to, to perform, but also, you know, we're getting better training performance in the gym, but we're also optimizing recovery out of it. And then the big thing is managing your stress. You know, you want to make sure that your stress is managed and you're mitigating stress and unnecessary stress because that's going to have downstream effects on your ability to adapt to your training and also perform in the gym. And if building muscle is your goal, you can't just solely rely on the training as that's not the only factor that influences and determines your physique progress. So make sure you have proper nutrition, make sure you have sufficient protein intake, get good sleep quality and quantity, and just realize that training is a stimulus for growth, but the process of growth requires an adequate recovery. So we really have to dial all the aspects of, of this in. And it can't just be, hey, I smashed myself with this specialization cycle for 60 to 90 minutes, you know, five days per week in the gym. And then I forget about the rest of the time, you know, bodybuilding or, you know, when I say bodybuilding, I'm, I'm more so, you know, referring to physique development is a full-time job. And I don't want you guys to see it as a job, but realize everything you do throughout the course of the day can either help you or hinder you. Absolutely, man. I think that's such a good, important point to make. And one other thing, if I may add, I would say, especially in the context of the building phase, I think, and you kind of touched on this earlier, but I think it's also helpful to like throw out the caveat that we may not actually be able to see the visual result until we get into some fat loss later on, right? Because while we are adding muscle tissue, we are also very likely adding some fat tissue, right? So it's it's often like you will, yes, you'll look bigger, but you won't necessarily see like more shape or more definition in any specific area until later on when we go to the fat loss phase. Like even before I'm at right now, I'm the leanest now that I've been since like this time in 2019. And it's been interesting to see like the last few years, 
Now I pushed weight up quite a bit. Like in retrospect, I wouldn't have pushed, like, especially in like 2020, 2021, I wouldn't have pushed weight as high as I did. But it's interesting to see now, like there was so much of that time where I was like, man, I feel like I kind of just maintained throughout this. Like I know I've been hitting my training, but also stress has been pretty high. I've definitely been more stressed and negative nature. And it's cool to see now, like I just got leaner, like, oh man, I really did make a quality amount of gains like over the last three years. But it's important, I think, as well to like, understand that a lot of times you don't actually see the fruits of your labor until we do get into that fat loss piece of it. And then, okay, we put plenty of time into building, plenty of time recovering, get a little bit leaner trade off any body fat we've added, and then we'll see that results. But like all things, it's very much a long game. Absolutely. No, it really is a long game uh, process. We really have to think long-term within it, but also just from a tracking perspective, what I really like to do is have, you know, clients do photos. I I like them looking in the mirror. I like getting videos. I want, you know, them to utilize the same lighting in their AM facet photos. And then I also like having clients pose as I find that many will just take like facet photos for their weekly check-ins and it doesn't show their true level of development. And for my advanced athletes, they're either going to be posing on the stage or at a shoot or on the beach. And you're never going to be standing there like in your check-in photos. I'm sure you can relate to this, Jeremiah. A lot of times your clients just look like they just woke out of, uh, out of bed and they look like shocked. You know what I mean, they're tired, they're, they're fatigued. You know what I mean, flex, you know, I also like to see them post-workout. So often when I'm utilizing a specialization phase, I want to see what that muscle group looks like. Once you get a pump, are you getting better pumps? Does it look more developed? Does it look like you were able to really target that musculature during your workout? Because if I have you on a chest specialization cycle, but your delts are blown up, it might be an indication, hey, it's really targeting a, a different musculature than intended. So I want to see what they look like, you know, Know, both faceted so that I have a regular, um, you know, metric, visual metric to track over time throughout their building phase and to really see their body composition in a very uh, standardized way. But I also want to see what do you look like post-workout, especially after those specific training days when you have some water, some electrolytes, some uh, food in you, you're fueled. And so I like utilizing different parameters. And I find that that's really helpful for the client themselves because we all love getting a pump. But when we have a muscle group, like you were mentioning prior, where you don't really feel, you know, you're unable to contract with it. You don't have a a great mind to muscle connection. That's often the body parts that we lag. So that's, I see a lot of individuals with lagging hamstrings and lagging back. And it's not only because we can't see them when we're training them, but often people have very poor mind to muscle connections with them. But once they start, you know, contracting it better, better exercise execution, they're finally getting pumps in those areas. It's giving them confidence. It's kind of like reinforcing the fruits of their labor and the work that they're putting in. And it makes them both more, more motivated and then also more invested into the process of the specialization cycle. Absolutely, man. I know the listeners will take a ton of value from this. I, it's been fun to actually talk some training with you. I've really enjoyed these last few conversations we've had. Um, before I let you go here, I know we're going to drop your coaching application link in the comments of the show. Anything else that you want to plug? No, guys, um, the only thing I would like to plug, feel free to reach out to me at Brandon, uh, uh, Fitness at gmail.com or at Brandon DeCruz underscore. And also, guys, I do do a weekly podcast. Um, Jeremiah's referred to you guys before, but it's called the Chasing Clarity Health and Fitness Podcast. We release an episode every Friday at noon. I uh, would love to have you guys over there because we deliver a ton of value as well, uh, as do Jeremiah and you know all the other guys that we've been uh, associated with. And I would just appreciate all your guys' support. Absolutely, man. I'll drop all that in the show notes as well. And all, as always, dude, thank you for being here. Absolutely. Always my pleasure, bro.